Okay, welcome everyone to another amazing episode of the Because Football Podcast. This is your host, Coach Andrew, and today we have a guest with us. This is John Adair. John is currently the technical director at Buckingham United Soccer Club, just in the, uh, the Philadelphia area. He's also the head boys soccer coach at Central Bucks West High School, and he just recently got his USSF B license. So first of all, John, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, man. Happy to be here. We have just kind of been in touch through like social media. And, and like, I, I remember seeing a lot of your posts and, and clips on Instagram, you know, posting, uh, posting videos of your U9 C team building out of the back, like love that and, and being able to share the, the film and, and just really kind of quickly kind of saw, oh, I kind of like how this guy is doing things. I like how the club is doing things as well. Um, so I'm really excited to kind of talk about, you know, your work on a club level and, and, and some of your past in the game too. Yeah, no, happy to share anything I can. And, you know, it's like I said, um, you know, things we're proud of. First thing here, we start at the beginning, right? What are some of your earliest memories, earliest experiences of the game? Yeah, so for me, it's probably a little bit unique. I, I'm not one that got into the game from the age of, you know, three years old or walking this kind of watershed moment of a, a big World Cup experience. I, I don't come from a soccer family. I don't from a, a soccer background I realistically come from a, at least originally starting off from a pretty poor area of New Jersey um, where football and baseball were king um, okay. so grew up playing your kind of traditional American sports um, and then when when my mom was able to finally move us into a, a slightly better area with better schools and things like that I was introduced to soccer um, through a coach that's actually the a friend of mine that's a good friend of mine um, and realistically, I think he just me because I was athletic and and rough and kind of raw. Um, but from the moment I started, I kind of just fell in love with it. Um, and then obviously from then on, it's, it's kind of been a a constant journey. And you know, up until the point that we're we're here now, uh, and I'm able to obviously you know make a living and, and do this as a not just a hobby anymore, but you know, yeah. I'm so grateful to those those experiences and, and feel lucky to have been exposed to it um, when I was. So. So originally being exposed to more traditional sports, you know, at least for the U S you know, American football, baseball, what about the game kind of drew you in? Do you think it was anything about like the nature of it itself? Was it just this coach kind of putting, you know, attention and care and, and like believing in you or like, what do you think kind of was the hook that, that got you, uh, got you really, yeah, I think it kind of stands out looking back at it now and haven't really reflected on this in a long time. But I think a big part of it for me was actually probably the fact that I was terrible at it hmm. and didn't want to be bad at something. Um, you know, I was actually an athletic kid. I was naturally pretty gifted in terms of coordination and, and all of those things. But soccer was just so far into me when I started and obviously getting a late start compared to a lot of people. Um, I was way behind the, the eight ball in terms of development and skill and things like that. So I think that's kind of what made me go all in right from the jump. And then I think from there, the uniqueness of it and the fact that it was something a little untraditional and different, um, you know, and, and just the simple fact that you're using your feet instead of your hands and things like that. Yeah. Uh, I think that's what kind of, my interest but but what really probably got my interest was genuinely just the fact that I was I was red <laughs> um, 
um, and, and not wanting to be that way, obviously. So for, even from a young age, really uh, having that, that desire to grow and improve and constantly push yourself. I, I don't think that's a common, a common uh, answer, I would say. Most people have a bit of a knack. Personally, it was just what I was naturally more good at at first and like and obviously loved it too so it was like kind of grew from there so it's a yeah. more more unique origin story yeah no I, and i could i could share a story i kind of remembered how Please. i went through my whole first season of of travel soccer and skipped the entire rec phase and like little kicker phase and all of that jumped right into travel um which not at any sort of high level but uh again i remember being absolutely terrible going through the whole season, not really contributing anything. Um, not sure why the team decided to keep me on board, but, uh, you know, my first goal was actually a mistake. Um, the ball ended up hitting the post and I just happened to be crashing the box. And it, I think it pretty much went off my face or my ear and into the goal. And, and that's how, uh, that's how my first goal scored. Oh, it came about in my, my first big accomplishment in the sport was, came from me kind of just really not knowing any better. Yeah, just faking it till you make it, man. That's that, what that it was is. It. Like that, that, was that it. desire and willingness. Beautiful. Yeah. Cool. So you're terrible at soccer. Every day you're getting a little less terrible, right? And then when does it get to the point of, you know, down the road, like, okay, I think I actually want to coach. Like I want to help develop other people uh, in this passion that I have. Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Um, I think the, I was pretty okay feeling as a as an athlete. I think, but uh, aware in general, I was probably a pretty the background that I came from, and I think that led to me kind of looking forward and not really being kind of caught up in the in the moment, thinking mm -hmm. I was was better than anyone or thinking I was going to do these these great things. The, the passion that I had that it was I loved working with kids. Um, you know, from simple as family birthday parties and all younger ones and keeping them engaged to, um, I got kind of my first opportunity to work, um, as a coach and I'll use work loosely cause it was definitely a volunteer capacity in my, mm -hmm. in my hometown at the time. Um, and it was just working, um, with recreation kids. I was 14 years old. Mom technically had to be head coach just to the fact that obviously okay. I wasn't yeah. able to be responsible for anyone, probably couldn't be responsible for myself at the age. Um, but it was just something that I think I wanted to do and I liked giving back even at young ages. Um, and it's really kind of been a constant present in my life since then. And obviously through going through adulthood and things like that, it's, it's varied in level of importance throughout the time, um, but it's always been there. And it's been something that, you know, I've focused on working in soccer or, you know, doing other job where the case might be. Um, but yeah, I would say 14 is probably when I kind of knew what I coached. The first time that I did, uh, it was something that I knew I was probably gonna do for the rest of my life. Uh, whether it was in a career capacity or volunteer capacity, I knew it was something that I enjoyed and wanted to be a part of. And, and what I heard there is just your your love of, of working with kids and, and making it fun and making it engaging. Um, and I think that if you're going to get into youth soccer, that's got to be your in your top three, right? Like top two maybe of, of what you want to do because a lot of people just start out, oh, I just want to coach like high-level players 
and work with really good kids. And like, number one, you got to earn that, you know, most people really have to earn it unless you've like been at a high level and kind of slot into a, a good situation. Number two, coaching is, is really about connecting with them as people. Like obviously you have your knowledge to give, you have the, the way that you design your sessions and activities, you know what to teach them, how to get like, but, but really it's about all the what's have to come from like the why for the player of like, why do I need to do this? Why am I going to listen to this guy who's talking to me? You know, I'm sure like your first team is like, this kid's 14. He's like, practically, you know, my older brother's age, like, why am I going to listen to this guy? Right. Or, or even when we get up to the coaching ages, you know, or, or a little bit older, it's like, you know, what, why am I going to listen beyond just like, he's the coach. So you listen, but like really getting players to take that next step. I think you got to have that, that level of trust and personal connection. Um, how do you think that that side you know, from that rec team that you coach for the first time to then coaching at the college level at, at Georgian court, to now being like director of a, of a youth club, like a smaller community club that is definitely, you know, growing in capacity consistently. How have you carried that through all of those different type of roles and, and kids that you've worked with? The biggest thing that I try to, to tell young coaches now even is, is to just try everything. Um, you know, like work with rec, work with U8, U9, U10. Um, Cause what you think is your, your end goal might not, actually what you enjoy never really know that you for sure taste for sure. that as well um but i think that's i was just very grounded in wherever i was at the time and not always necessarily um you know i wasn't in a, in a heresy step i really just kind of took it as every every opportunity that i um you know to cope and work with kids so I, I wanted to you know be present and learn from each environment i was in but um, in terms of the like personal and connection, that's the biggest thing that you learn, you know, kind of probably when you're transitioning from a, a young and inexperienced coach into more experience is that you can have all the knowledge in the world, uh, but it's not about how much information you can give. It's about how much the players are actually going to take on board. Um, mm. So obviously having that, that foundation of the player, knowing that you have what's in their best interest um, and not just what's in your best interest and, and making it not about you. I think that's a huge piece. I think as coaches, it's important that we, we go out of our way to make sure that the players one know that, but the other thing I think that kind of, we don't necessarily maybe pay as much attention to as we should is just that our actions are, are always speaking for us as well. If we're saying one thing, but our actions aren't aligning um, with what we're saying, then we leave that chance whether or not that player is going to actually trust us, believe us, whatever the case is. And we're just minimizing the chance they actually take the information that we want them to take on board at that point. I actually just wrote a little bit about this on a, a recent like LinkedIn post. I was reflecting and, and you know, on, on coaching and how it is kind of a unique profession or job or role, right? And, and to your point of like, your actions have to match your words these kids are smart. They're watching what you're doing. They can sniff out, you know, when you're not being authentic or you're not being real. And I think, and that is a hard standard to live up to, right? Cause it's so much easier to say and tell than to do and to, to live that way. And so it's something I know I fail at a lot and I'm always trying to, uh, to, to improve on, but I think it's a great point, you know, of, of you have to kind of live it and you have to be 
your, your actions and things have to be uh, in, in harmony with your words and, and the kids are going to really, really understand that. So could you give an example maybe of, of that in the past that, that you've learned yourself, maybe from failing in that way? I think it's important to also acknowledge that like, we're going to make mistakes as much as and we're not, sure. going, we're not going Lenny. to be perfect as well. I screw up every day. It's just, it's just the nature of the beast. Being able to own up to that and recognizing, you know, when you make a mistake um, and being able to share. Again, you hopefully have that foundation with that player and, and your team at that point already so that they can, you know, trust you and get behind you still. I think all of those things, if we're doing those things as coaches, then obviously, look, we're not going to go out and run with them and we're not going to go out there and, and make tackles and challenges and things like that. We're not, we're not playing anymore. Um, but I think if, if we're showing that we're constantly you know, living up to the standard that we're trying to set for them, then that's important versus being the coach that's drilling in right on time and doesn't have a session laid out and doesn't have a plan. I think players see through that. It can't be that transactional. They need to feel like we're pouring into them and not trying to pull something out. And I think too, a little something that you hinted at a little bit is like, you know, as coaches, we make those mistakes every day. We see our players make the mistakes and, and that's really a, a part of learning, right? And, yeah. and uh, it's always that process, that like feedback loop of, you know, we, we try it, we fail. What do we need to adjust? What do we need to fix? We try it, we fail. What do we need to fix? So uh, if we apply that to, let's just take technical training, right? So you're with, with Corver coaching in the past, they focus a lot on on dribbling and, and ball mastery and just making players comfortable with the ball. That's also an area where failure is pretty obvious because you can either do it or you can't. Correct. You can either execute in the, the game situation or you can't. How do you try to set players up when it comes to learning a new technical skill? How do you try to set them up mentally uh, to kind of prepare them for this, this new step they're taking? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think the, the most important thing is to eliminate that fear of failing. Um, so making sure that we encourage mistakes. And I think that's an easy thing to say. Uh, I think if you ask them, mm -hmm. probably tell you the same thing, right? Like we need to have players that are creative and not afraid to try things. And that goes for probably every country right now. But I think the harder thing kind of going back to the point we made earlier mm -hmm. is making sure that your actions align with that. Right. So not, scolding a player not benching a player um when they do make a mistake and kind of you know something that i think a lot of people probably try to base their personal relationships off is intentions and did someone mean well i think the same can go for for sport and soccer and was the player trying to be brave were they trying to make the best decision based on the information they had uh and then again to your point can we then guide them back to being self-reflective and starting to fix their own mistakes? Um, but I think even though it might make take more time or a little more concerted effort for us as coaches to, to let the player be the one that kind of closes that loop and feels like they're the one that solved the problem, whatever the deficiency was, that's going to have more power long-term versus, you know, in one of your sessions, Obviously, it's really easy for us to maybe go and correct something in the moment. And they might do it right the next time, the next two times. They might do it right for the entire rest of the session. Uh, but I think then we're leaving the chance. Are they actually then going to keep that with them? And is that going to stay with them long term yeah. when they go into a game or into a high-pressure environment? Are they still confident 
enough to to do that. Uh, and I think that's a huge piece of the puzzle um, is, again, just making sure that what we're doing aligns with kind of what we're saying, or at least what we're saying as coaches we want want to be and want from players. Yeah. Yeah, and then the, the nuance, I think, in coaching comes from how effective you are as a coach of what you're working on in training in the sessions to then, like, transferring that to a game, you know, because um, like, you can look up the best session plan and, and line it up, but it's all those little details of how you're connecting with the players, you know, what, what your demands are and things to, to kind of make that happen. That's something I, I think about and I think ultimately is one of our biggest challenges as coaches because you, know, you can't just pause the game and then work no. on it. It's like, you gotta be, you gotta be prepared. Yeah. I think it's, I, I think it, it comes down to that word context, why they're making the decision that they're making, why they're doing things a certain way and based on what. So, you know, whether that's a visual cue, a, a trigger from within the own team, whatever the case might be, you, you want to make that as realistic to the game as possible so that they can then have a better chance at transferring it. I like to keep a catalog of the interactions that I've had with players going into games. Mm -hmm. So I'll take out after a session or whatever the case might be about, Hey, I spoke with little Jimmy about, um, you know, once the ball goes by the next action being inside. Uh, and then that's what I'm going to maybe speak to with before the game to kind of refresh their memory. The one goal or one thing I'm looking for in the game and yeah. not treating every day as a, as a new slate, obviously, in terms of like allowing players to make mistakes and things like that, that's totally fine. But for me, I think it's important that we continue to treat even the games as a progression of kind of where our sessions, where we stopped in our mm. session. So, mm. you know, if a player, let's just say, you know, did something really well, then we want to encourage that and make sure that there's focus on continuing to do that really well if we think it's going to help our team, if we think it's going to help that player in the long term. What can players do to like take more responsibility for their own growth and development? so that they're making more of an impact in the game on their own, maybe within the team setting, but like what can they do to kind of improve themselves without the coach saying you need to do X, Y, and Z? Yeah, I think obviously like the simple answer is to, to, to train, right? Regardless of, of where they're at, I, I'm a believer in, in pulling down on your strength as well. Obviously it's really easy to point out balls in a player and, and no player is going to be perfectly well-rounded. No player is going to be perfect. But, you know, making players feel like, hey, that one gift that you have, whether it's a, a left-footed player that's incredible at cutting in on his left foot from the right side, you know, don't just go and work on your right foot because you don't feel confident with your right foot. Let's make your left foot even better. Uh, I think that's one thing. I think another powerful tool, again, is is just analyzing their own performance and not waiting for that to come from coach. Um, you know, so I think they can sign up to have a – 20-minute, 30-minute video call with myself or an assistant, and they're actually the ones in charge of getting two positive clips and two clips they'd like to improve mm. upon from the game. So now they're find those clips. They're obviously analyzing and the power in that, but then they need to take ownership for setting up the meeting. Um, it's not you know, upon coaches to go and do that. And then obviously, you know, we guide them through what they show us and kind of how we think those moments can be better or what we think was positive. Um, but I think kind of putting the ball in their court and allowing them to reflect and analyze on their own. And then I think them being able to share that with us then helps us kind of understand where they're coming from it. You know, I think it's a, a big piece of the puzzle and it's, 
it kind of ties a lot of pieces together in terms of the relationship. Obviously, it can help them technically, tactically. And I think, you know, in their own individual journey, being able to to look back and reflect and analyze and, and kind of create it action steps and action plans on how to develop and improve, I think is is super beneficial to them and us as coaches. We want to pivot a little bit from like the the player development side on the field and things, even though we've talked about how much the mentality and the, the social aspect of coaching is important to that. Um, I, I'm really interested to hear more about your project with Buckingham United, right? So I know they've been around, but but it's always been kind of like volunteer run, you know, kind of a smaller Cool. There, there's a, a good amount of clubs in that area too. So what kind of, first of all, attracted you to, to kind of switching gears from, from like Corver in a more business setting from coaching college and, and look more into like the, the youth and, and community game? Sure. When I came to Buckingham United, I was, I was still working with Corver. And to your point, uh, I was actually contracted out there to do some team training. Um, and I think it was, it was more of just a, personal choice than anything I think by being around um more teams and and kind of seeing the atmosphere and kind of the professionalism around the club in terms of um facilities and structure which was very good at the time um you know I kind of missed actually the, the game um you know or we were doing training and things like that um but not being able to kind of share that experience with players and and kind of always see the the results of the hard work pay off, um, not just obviously, you know, in the score line or whatever the case might be, but, you know, not being able to see them then go and apply those things, um, in the game, which is at the end of the day, what all the kids want to do and they want to be a part of. So I think it, it was just a, a piece that I felt like I was missing and wanted, wanted back in my life. Um, and I was lucky enough that, uh, at that time they had an opening assisting the, director of coaching at the time. Uh, and then a few months later, um, they had stepped away and, and I'd been offered the role and it's kind of been that way ever since. Um, obviously COVID through a big wreck and everything with yeah. everyone. Um, but that's, that's kind of how the origin story is. The first thing I'm always interested in beginnings, like the yeah. transitions in the beginning. So like, what did you do first? Right. And, and just kind of like, how, how did you identify the needs and like where you kind of prioritize where to start. Uh, but had never really been fully in charge of a, a technical side. Um, so it was completely new to me. Obviously I think like all of us, I had a million. Ideas. And the, the mistake that I think I made at first was trying to, uh, you know, do all of um, So I think pre COVID that was a, a huge mistake that I made. And I think, the challenge for me was going in with all of these ideas and not really taking into consideration the people that were still within the club had gone through. Uh, and to give mm -hmm. some context, they had been through five directors in three years. Um, so one of the first questions I was asked was if I was going to be here in a year. Uh, and I think that was a completely fair question. And I answered it as truthfully as I could at that time. Um, I think looking back, what I would have done differently was take the time to, you know, kind of understand where the club had been, um, what the people were feeling and, and maybe take in more information and feedback from those people versus kind of going in gung ho with, 
with the million ideas and kind of throwing it all at the wall and seeing what sticks. Um, that, Context. That, yeah. Yeah. Context, that, like we we're talking about before, right. In the game situation, but now you're talking about with people and the, 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 what they've been experiencing and, and that's, that's really critical. Yeah. I think that would have been, been helpful in terms of, of getting buy-in obviously. Um, and I think that would have been beneficial in terms of, you know, I'd already had some relationship with some key members of the club just through working with the teams through, through Corver. Um, but that was a really small piece of the, the club. Right. So I think that would have been beneficial is just to, to take more time and not necessarily kind of, uh, even though it wasn't my intention in their eyes being, you just kind of throwing out everything they had done um, and dismissing everything they had done in, in terms of trying to do things my way. So um, I chalked that one up to inexperience and, and being young. Um, and, you know, as crazy as it sounds, I'm kind of thankful that COVID gave us the balls that I think we needed and gave us some, mm. some time to reflect and, you know, take stock in, in not just what we were doing professionally, but our lives in general. And that yeah. I think was a, as crazy as it sounds, I think COVID and coming out of COVID was a huge turning point for us. And, and for me personally, um, into what's been the next chapter of, of my life with the club. Since kind of getting more of a lay of the land of the club and, and, and figuring things out, what are you most proud of at this point over your work of the past two to three years? Yeah, I think the thing I'm most proud of is, is our staff coming from a background of, a club that was very much the kind of old model of, of a lot of volunteer coaches and, and, you know, trainers like myself at that point was coming in and, and doing it and not getting the full picture. Um, but within that context of, of being proud of the staff, I think kind of the biggest thing that we've put emphasis on some of our best coaches work with C teams. Um, and that's not necessarily I don't want to say that that's super intentional, but that we we've structured things is, you know, it's not just the most qualified coaches on paper get the A team and, and the newest coaches get the C team. It, it really is a collaborative staff process. And we have, um, you know, to give an example, we have two coaches within our, our 2013 age group of three teams and all of those players in that whole age group have a relationship with both coaches uh, and the training is, is together not to say that you know it's it's 33 kids on the field all doing the same activity right we we separate it we split them up um and sometimes the starting point for that might be what team they're on whether they're you know it might be you know a and half the b team is here and and the c team and half the b team is is over here uh, but that means right just based on player availability based on kind of what we think a player needs so um i think the the quality of the environment and consistency of the environment is is the thing that I'm most proud of and I think we've we've gone about it in a way that is more sustainable I think we've we've done really well not to try to sell parents you know based on a piece of paper so uh, you know it would have been really easy to go out and hire a, a full staff of professional coaches and have that without within the whole club um, but we made a conscious effort to start small get it really, really good and, and improve the quality. So we started with the 7v7 teams and bringing in professional coaches there. And I think that's probably a little bit backwards of what a lot of places would do. Um, so we took the best coaches we had and put them with 7v7s. Um, 
and then at that point, obviously the idea was we would kind of, as each year earned a new age and brought in new teams, we would then obviously bring on new coaches and, and go that route. Um, but I think we've, we've done a really good job in terms of when I talk about quality, a lot of it's quality control too. So, you know, we don't bring coaches on and give them a team right away. No one within our club has come in and taken a team. Um, to give you an idea, like if we're, you know, this obviously upcoming fall, we've had a group of coaches that have worked with us since either late last fall, the winter, or early spring, spent an entire season working with either myself, our other director, uh, or like, you know, one of our key members staff, and spent the whole season showing them and seeing how we do things, how we structure training sessions, you know, how we communicate with parents, kids, and, and standards and things like that. So that way, when they then take over a team in the fall, there's that consistency. Uh, and they don't feel like they're being thrown to the wolves or, or being asked to do things that they don't fully understand because they've seen it. Um, and, you know, that, that's come with uh, a level of trust and backing from our, our board and, and mm-hmm. our volunteers. Because obviously that's a that's, slow process too, right? Like you have immediate needs process. you need a coach here you're you're yeah. having an issue like you've got to fill it and and that takes a lot of time it takes a lot of patience and i'm thinking too like and you're saying you know the board being understanding there's got to be certain values and a shared vision that you guys have right from board to your technical staff your coaching staff that then filters out the players and like parents and families could you talk about maybe you know some of those things two or three values that you guys consistently use as a framework for making your decisions all the way from the top big picture stuff as a club to like interpersonal interactions with, with individual families. Yeah. We've tried to outwardly be super clear um, about what we are. And, and that comes with not being, comes with sharing or about and not hiding anything and, and not feeling like we have some silver bullet or secret sauce. But, you know, for us as a club, we're, we're not trying to, um, you know, necessarily hide the fact we are a community club. You know, we're not trying to hide the fact that we are going to develop players that right now there are other clubs out there that have levels of competition that we don't have to offer. Um, mm-hmm. And instead of trying to sell that parent or, or sell that player on staying within our club, I think it's important for us that the player is at the center of everything. Um, so, We'll educate that parents on what their options are. Um, you know, if that's if that's of interest to them, and honestly, when they then go on and take a step forward in their soccer journey based on what their their goals are, um, we celebrate that. Like we think that's a positive thing for us. We think that's a good rebuttal rather than a negative. Um, and I think that obviously, again, depending on what management you have, that can be said in terms of we are players leave our club. Uh, and that's again, but that for us is not necessarily a bad thing as long as we're losing players for the right reasons. Um, mm-hmm. And that's kind of the approach that we've taken um, is is putting the player at the center of everything, giving them every opportunity to be challenged and succeed with us. But when there's no longer when it's no longer within our ability to challenge them consistently, being open to the fact that we might not be the best and then being happy for that player and, and watching us and, and knowing that we still play a role within that. Um, and look from the club side, like 
we hope long term that that pays dividends in terms of, of establishing ourselves as a club that we truly do emphasize and focus on developing players. We're not mm-hmm. in a place where we're, you know, getting all of the best players in the state to, to trade out. We're simply selecting best players every year. You know, we're we're taking players where they're at and trying to help them get to where they, they want to be. And for every player, it's a little different. But um, for us, it's it's just all about each individual player. Yeah, I think um, that's refreshing to hear because at least in the Philadelphia area, I mean, just this year, the number of consolidations of clubs and connections and partnerships because it's a everybody wants to compete. And like, I'm not knocking, that's not my space. But like just looking at it from like dealing more with individual families and parents to see how they have to make decisions. Um, there's been so many of these, you know, like trying to just, basically it's like, transformers right it's just like everybody's trying to be voltron so you got like five different clubs coming together to be the big so we can compete with these big mls next these ecnl names um and there's a place for that but i think to your point like i wish there was a bit more uh, let's say this less like ego involved and more just like kind of understanding the ecosystem where like yes some clubs are there to develop players and real and like the difference between developing and like competing right at a high level because there are the clubs who are their more medium to bigger size they can just poach either intentionally or or just by their reputation better players from smaller clubs and they're just drawing that and that and they're playing that level but sometimes i don't see there's necessarily the development happening within those type of clubs you know, you can see it when you look at a roster and like, all right, at U15, U16, like how many kids have been in that club for their most of their soccer career? How long have they been? Right. And it's you can kind of see that that uh, that difference. Um, and of course, the goal still would be building a club that is going to retain more players. Maybe you're not your elite elite because they deserve those other opportunities, but you want to retain them. Um, but again, just like with the staff, that's a long process. Right. So I'm wondering, like does patience come into play is patience a a big topic of of discussion within the staff and the club like you know there's a lot of short-term frustrations in trying to build something long term so how do you guys kind of manage those moments of like okay you feel like this didn't really go to plan or your the vision is here but the actual execution is still a step or two below yeah no that's a that's a good point i think and to your point, I think we've tried to operate at of a bigger club um, to give the players and the parents what they deserve. And for me, as a director, I don't think a player at nine years old, 10 years old deserves any less professionalism, any less effort because of how good of a soccer player they are. Um, so that's kind of one of our core beliefs. I think when you talk about kind of the the execution, patience is, is a huge thing. Uh, obviously, like, I've been, you know, we've been out of COVID for how many years now? Um, And we're still just getting to the point where this is kind of trickling into the nine. Um, So we're still years and years away from this being the constant throughout the whole club. Um, But again, we've gone that way to try to ensure that bringing in, you know, a ton of people to, again, on paper, say we're doing this. We don't really know, you know, so-and-so's quality or so-and-so's intentions. Um, but I think it, it 
looking back, I think to obviously patience being reflective, um, but also just not thinking that you're not always thinking that you're doing the right thing as long as you're doing it for the right reasons. So hmm. being being open to the idea that you might not be doing things not, you know, being so frustrated with yourself um, because of the fact that, you know, you are doing it for the right reason. You're, you're best with the information that you have, uh, but the landscape change, going up or changing, the parents in the club change. Um, so I think that's huge. But I think to your point about kind of keeping everybody on track as a staff about it being long term is, you know, one of the phrases that we use, especially with our, our younger coaches and 77 coaches is, you know, when I go out to watch a game, I could care less about us being the better team at seven aside. I just want us to be the better coach team. Um, so, you know, and that goes for like player behavior and, and how we treat opponents and officials and each other. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, you know, are we trying to play the style that we set up to play? You know, and, and we, that style of play we we want to achieve. And obviously that's kind of a constant that runs throughout the whole club. So it's of where you're pathway and where you are as a coach um you know the the content that we're doing should be relatively the same progressive so obviously if we're building out of the back, that doesn't look the same at u9 as u16 um but at u9 we're coaching you with the end goal of what it should look like at u19 um yeah. you know and it's not left to every coach's interpretation so um but yeah i think just figuring out what that could you know, everyone throws around the idea of KPIs and, and things like that. But identifying what success is to you at each level and and what are indicators of achieving that. So, again, if we want to be the, the team that plays better soccer and, and is setting players up better long term, us playing out of the back is, is going to be important. Um, and that leads to losing a game. Um, so you have to kind of take the same way that, yeah, yeah, the same way that you have to take the pressure off of players. You know, I think it's important as a director, especially in, in my capacity is taking coaches to win, um, you know, and making sure that that that's clear. And that comes from not just saying that to coaches, but being outwardly explicit with, well, for sure. Yeah. The parents have to hear that. Yeah. Yeah. Not just left to the coach. You know, we, I think one thing we do a good job of is taking on a lot of that burden as a club and as a leadership group and explicitly sharing, Hey, look, this is what we believe. Um, you know, and, and you don't have to buy into it. You don't have to believe in it. And if you don't, to be completely honest, we're probably not the right place for you. And, and we say that we're, that, um, we're not going to be the right place for everybody and that's okay. Um, and I think that leads to us having a better culture. I think it leads to us having, better behavior on both sidelines. Um, and I think it leads to us having coaches that are, it's a lot easier for them to kind of stay in the process because for the most part, kind of stay grounded with where we are in the process and not get, try to get two steps ahead or, or focus on things that we're not focusing on as a club uh, because parents have also bought into that journey as well um, mm-hmm. versus that kind of being left to chance or parent coming in and not really knowing what or just knowing the club based off of a name or a team that play, whatever the case might be. But we try to be, you know, explicit about 
what we are looking for and what we're trying to achieve. One thing that's really sticking out from from that, which is which is awesome, and I think that you know w- whether you're leading an organization, whether you're within it, I think like having this similar identity and and the idea of that identity of vision is key. Um, but what I really love what you said is like the focus more on intention and the attempts that when you're figuring out what to do, choosing that decision based on those values of like what you want to achieve but not being attached to like, is this really the best thing? Because like that, we, that's a risk, right? Like we, we don't really know how something is going to turn out. The outcome is going to have from it. We try to, to make the best intention. So I like that focus on, to me, it really mirrors the player process too, of like the intention of trying to learn, trying to improve, trying to make a decision that you think is the right decision and you don't necessarily know if that is is going to happen right you don't know if you're going to get the outcome that you want and so i think that um those uh those kind of like parallel ideas there and philosophies is 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 really awesome and and, uh definitely stood out for me so all right john and so you've recently taken over a high school role at central bucks west um so uh you, you just really don't love free time you know, especially from August to October. Not a fan of that, I guess. Um, so, but we appreciate your your dedication. Um, so, what kind of attracted you, you know, to the high school game in that type of environment? Yeah, uh, I think it goes back to kind of what we talked about earlier, um, and just one, just getting outside your comfort zone and trying a lot of different things to kind of figure out where you actually get the most enjoyment. I think it's really easy to kind of just reach for the, you know, the mountaintop in terms of wanting to coach or wanting to coach collegiately. Um, and again, like I've had my hand in soccer at, at, and I think for me, it was a matter of, uh, you know, making a decision that I thought was, was better for me to act at, um, just in terms of, um, you know, for me and my family, it keeps me closer to home. Um, and I think that's a huge piece for me in terms of being able to, you know, be, a, you know, be present at home, which in turn hopefully takes care of, of my mental health and puts me in a better place to be a better, you know, mentor and coach for these, these young guys. Um, but I think, again, it, it still comes down to just being aware of, of what you actually get enjoyment out of. And, and I enjoy the youth game. Uh, I love my time at the college game. Um, I've learned so much, so many great friends and colleagues and mentors and, and things like that through those experiences. Um, and you know, I haven't necessarily closed the book. I know that I'm going to evolve and change as a person as well. Um, but right now where I get the most joy is, is developing younger people, uh, and feeling like you can have that impact on an important moment in their life and based on where they are. Awesome. And, and so now, again, we're talking about another new beginning, um, you know, coming into the program deal with, with uh, high school boys, right? And uh, having previously been one, I know how that can be. Uh, so where are you kind of starting, you know, with this group of young men? Yeah, wow. Um, you know, I think it's, I think for me, it's been really about just kind of starting to be like I look at it in two ways right kind of kind of the idea is is trying to create a a loose 
atmosphere and feeling around the playing side and, and not being afraid to, again, we've talked playing out from the back and things like that, yep. which maybe isn't always present in all games. Um, not, yeah. Something yeah. we're going to, to and pride ourselves on. But I think, so it's, it's eliminating the pressure on that side while also raising standards in terms of, you know, how we conduct ourselves and how we represent the program as well. Yeah. I mean, the, it, we're going to include some links to, to your Instagram and things and, uh, <laughs> for sure. So everybody's got to go check out, you know, the U9 playing out of the back. But when I see in a competitive high school game, consistent clips of a team playing out of the back, then it will really be impressed because, uh, it's just a lot of, a lot of kickball at high school. Their guys are so strong and athletic and it generally outweighs uh, a lot of the, the technique you see. So yeah, look forward to, to being shocked. We've covered a lot here. It's been a great podcast. I think players can learn a lot from, from how a coach kind of looks at how they can develop. I think other coaches can get a, a good sense of, uh, of maybe checking in on their personal values and, and certainly club leaders and directors and parents too. You know, I think this is a great, uh, a great episode for parents to be able to listen to and, and look for the right place for their child to be not only as a soccer player, but as a person um, and looking for some of those, those key indicators of, of what might be a, a really productive, caring, conducive environment for them. Uh, so this has really been awesome. And we're going to wrap up the podcast the same way we do every single episode. John, we're going to put you on the spot here. Can you finish the sentence because football dot, dot, dot. Oh, because football, teaches us just so much about life um whether that be through you know through learning about the game or whatever the case i think that you know as long as we're in environments that are that are stretching us and pushing us and and not allowing us to be complacent i think there's so much to gain consciously subconsciously the rest of our lives and careers awesome that's a uh first for that one so fantastic love that and, and i'm glad yeah, just uh, again, appreciate your time, John, and then sharing, you know, your passion for the game with us. Um, as I said, we're going to have all the the links, uh, you know, for for the club, but for, for your personal social as well. Uh, and wish you the best you know, in the upcoming fall season with the club and your first high school season as well at CB West. Awesome. Appreciate it, Andrew. Happy to be here and, and chat with you. Absolutely. All right. Look forward to doing it again sometime. Thank you, everyone, for watching and we'll see you on the next episode.